Well, good morning again, Harborside. Glad to have you here. Just so you know, uh, Kurt Parker is not with us today. Uh, he's out with his family uh, taking a little getaways, but uh, I'm here. Uh, thank you. Thank you. That was more than I expected, so that was great. <laughs> but uh, hey, we're going to be uh, in the book of Matthew again. We've been here uh, all year long, and we've kind of looked at Matthew from different perspectives, uh, kind of some topics here and there. If you remember around Easter, we talked about uh, kind of the one week to live. And today's going to be a little unique because we're looking at uh, the person of Peter through the book of Matthew and just how his uh, journey took unfolded through the book of Matthew. And actually, we'll get a little beyond the book of Matthew uh, as, as we go along. But as we kind of get into this, I, I, I assume you guys are like me when it comes to your spiritual journey. Um, sometimes, you know, I've been in, I've been in uh, sp- spiritual stuff for, for all my life, basically. Uh, I grew up uh, with, in a Christian home, I, my parents and all that. And so I've been around it my entire life. But even, even still, I still find myself often just wanting to know, how do I you know, get it going a little bit more? How do I put the accelerator on it? How do I get beyond the mundane? You know, sometimes you look around and you see people who seem to have it together spiritually. And the question often comes, how do I, how do I get moving? How do I get this engine started to where I feel like I'm doing something or I'm growing spiritually? Well, hopefully throughout the, the book of Matthew, we'll see this because oftentimes I'll, I'll question myself and I'll, I'll wonder, you know, maybe I just need a little bit more faith. You know, maybe I just need a little more faith in, in God and maybe that would do it. But I think we'll see through Peter uh, and his journey just how God kind of worked through him and brought him along on his spiritual journey that will hopefully help us as we look at our own spiritual journey. So to get us there, what I want to kind of walk through are just some stages of, of Peter's Uh, spirituality, so to speak. His relationship with Jesus Christ, the person Jesus Christ, and really kind of how it flowed through the book of Matthew, but even beyond that. And to do that, I'm going to give you kind of five stages of of his life. Now, in the bulletin, there are six blanks, okay? Don't get confused. There's only five, five segments. So don't come up to me afterwards and tell me I missed the sixth one. Okay, there's only five. If you want to fill something in or, or do whatever, fine, or oh, whatever. Uh, but there's five things I want to kind of hit on today. And uh, as, you, as we get in this, I think you'll start to see how this kind of rolls out into our own spiritual journey. So the first one we're going to get into is right in the, in the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. And this is basically where Peter meets Jesus. He meets Jesus. He has an encounter with Jesus. Kurt talked a little bit about this last week when we talked about uh, becoming fishers of men. But in Matthew chapter 4... We read about the encounter that Peter, the fisherman, had with the person of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus uh, was gaining notoriety and as his, his essence of who he was was becoming more popular, he has an encounter with the person of Peter. So in Matthew chapter 4, we read of, of basically Peter encountering Jesus for the first time. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it just simply says this. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter, that's the guy we're talking about, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And verse 20, here's the life change. At once they left their nets and followed him. It's a pretty amazing encounter that Peter has with Jesus. I mean, he's going along just uh, in his mind. This is going to be his vocation. This is just going to be his life. Uh, This is probably what he trained for, probably what he uh, had a vision for for the remainder of his days, that he would work as a fisherman 
literally catching fish for the rest of his life. Now, for some of you, that may be a glorious idea of what life would be like. But for Peter, this was just his vocation. And yet, as he goes to work one morning, he runs into the person of Jesus, and his life is literally, literally forever changed. No longer is he going to be a literal vocational guy who goes out fishing, but Jesus has given him a spiritual vocation now to where his life now is at a totally different trajectory. Everything has changed. I mean, if if there is a, a, a turn on a dime of someone's life, it would be Peter going from one extreme to the other, runs into Jesus, and once that day happened, it's just a turn of events. His life is going to be forever, forever changed. Now, in your spiritual journey, obviously when it starts is the encounter with the person of, of Jesus Christ. Now, many of you may have, or for as many people as there are here this morning, we probably have different stories about what our encounter, our first encounter with Jesus Christ was like. For some of you, maybe it was just a smack-in-the-face type encounter like Peter had. Maybe you encountered Jesus Christ, and it changed your life, a huge trajectory change from that single moment. Maybe for some of you like me, it was kind of maybe a roll into it until one day you realize or you begin to realize the immensity of what this really meant. But for all of us, our spiritual journeys begin with an encounter, with meeting the person of Jesus Christ, meeting him and realizing just who he is, just the difference he can make in our lives, and just what a relationship with him is all about, what the value of that relationship is, how much it cost him, and what the ramifications are for us both here on earth and also into eternity. So Peter has this, and you've had this too. As I'm talking here, some of you probably can go back in your mind and you can remember what it was like when you first understood, when you first encountered the person of Jesus Christ. You met him. For some of you, we witnessed that when you become baptized. When you follow Christ and maybe in a beach baptism or over here or wherever, and you come out of that water and it's like you had that encounter. You know what it's like now. And you're excited and everything's awesome because you know, you know who this person of Jesus Christ was. And that's what happened with Peter. Matthew chapter 4, he comes face to face with Jesus Christ, and his life is never, never going to be the same. So after he meets Jesus, he continues on in his spiritual journey, and this is where he starts to find some confidence. So the second thing that he he starts to do is he's finding confidence. For three years after he has met Jesus now, he is going to be Jesus' sidekick, so to speak, one of the 12 disciples. They go along with Jesus They do all kinds of stuff. They watch Jesus do some pretty incredible miracles. Uh, They listen to Jesus as his teaching. I mean, they get firsthand, uh, firsthand account of the life of Christ. Now get this. You know, we don't have all of the details of the life of Christ here. I mean, we get the Gospels, which gives us a pretty good picture. But we don't get all of the nuances, all of the stuff that happened maybe behind the scenes. And yet this is Peter's life for three years. He's finding confidence. Now, as he goes on, my guess is that he, as he's building up confidence in his spiritual journey, there's a lot to be confident about. I mean, if you get a sense of Peter throughout the scripture, you get a sense that he's kind of this guy who is kind of, uh, you know, shoot first, aim later. You know, he's got some confidence going here that because of the way he's wired up and because of who he is, because of his place as a follower of Jesus Christ, as these years go on and as he develops a a relationship with Christ and as the journey goes on, the confidence starts to become part of who he is. I mean, when you think of the 12 disciples, you have 12 of them. And if I guess most of you probably couldn't even name all the 12, especially when you get into some, some of those names. But when we talk about the three, the three, Peter, James, and John, well, I've heard of them. 
Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of the circle. And then who's listed first? It's Peter. I mean, Peter, he's got some high ranking when it comes to uh, the disciples. I mean, you wouldn't think of James, John, and Peter. That just doesn't sound right. It's Peter, James, and John. And so as Peter goes on, you can just see as you read the stories, and Jesus talks to him about, you know, you're the rock. On our, this is the rock upon this rock. I'm going to build your Peter upon this rock. I'm going to build my church. There's a lot of confidence. But you see what happens, though, is this confidence really begins to take shape in the person of Peter. And what I mean by that is because of Peter's makeup, it's almost as if this confidence is rooted in a little bit of cockiness. A little bit of cockiness in who he is. I'm Peter. I'm the rock. It's Peter, James, and John. It's not John, James, and Peter. Get it right. Whenever you find an encounter, it's always Peter, the one who's stepping out. Peter's the one who puts it out there. Peter's the one who sometimes gets his nose in when he, where it doesn't belong. Peter's always the one. He's like that Henri one. He's the one who's always out there. And it's like he's very confident, but oftentimes the confidence is often mired a little bit in cockiness. Now, as he goes through three years of this, we get kind of to the end of Jesus's ministry here on earth. And now we get to the point where we get into the last, the last week of Jesus. So we go all the way through three years, and now we're in Matthew chapter 26, and this is really where it comes to the forefront, where you see his confidence that's rooted in a little bit of cockiness, a little bit of who he is. This is all about Peter. So go over to Matthew chapter 26, it'll it'll be on the screen here. Matthew chapter 26, and uh, let's start in verse 31. And this is is the Last Supper, and this is where Jesus is talking to his disciples, having a little get-together with his disciples before he goes out and is is, is arrested. And he he says this in verse 31. Then Jesus told them, his disciples, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now here's Peter's response to this, all right? Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus responds to that. He says, I tell you the truth. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. In verse 35, Peter responds, his rebuttal. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So here's some confidence. That's some confidence, isn't it? I mean, he's basically saying, listen, Jesus, I know what you're saying. I realize, you know, you're God of the universe and all that. I understand. But listen, even if everybody else here, because you've seen these other guys, even if all of these fall away, it's not going to be this guy. I will stand with you. I will be the one you can count on. And Jesus responds. He says, listen, let me take it a little bit further, Jesus, just in case you didn't get that. I will even die with you. I will even go and I will die with you on account of this. You can count on me, Jesus. Sound confident? Yeah. Sound a little cocky? Yeah. So here's Peter. He's got this confidence about him. It's a growing spirituality that, hey, he met Jesus. Now for three years, he's been by Jesus' side. And now he's to the point where he's coming to a, he's coming to a crossroads. Jesus says, you're going to fall away from me. And it's not even the fact that he's going to fall away from you, but he's, he puts it out there. Say, hey, Jesus, listen, I know what you said, but you got, you got us a little bit wrong. I can understand how everybody else may fall away, but not this guy. Remember, I'm Peter. 
My name means rock. I'm solid. I'm good. We're good to go. All the way to the grave, I'm with you. Well, it doesn't stay like this, as you know. We're in the same chapter, and we get to Peter's third segment. He's met Jesus. He's growing in confidence, much through cockiness or his own, his own personality, so to speak. Then he comes to this third part of his spiritual journey, which is basically failure. Failure. Where he set himself up so high on a pedestal. He's pushed himself so far that the only way to go for him, basically, is for the bottom to fall out. And this just doesn't take very long for Peter, unfortunately. So we're in the same chapter. This is just a short time later. And go down in, in chapter 26 and, uh, and uh, basically verse 69, it says this. It says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Yeah, simple denial. Verse 71, then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again. This time it's not just a denial. He he denies it with an oath. I don't know the man. 73, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are the one, you are one of them. And even your accent gives you away. You even speak like them. In verse 74, get this, get how far he's come in such a short time. Then he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words of Jesus that he had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. That to me is probably one of the saddest accounts in scripture in such a short time. A man who had been with Jesus and growing spiritually, finding confidence. It's been revealed that a lot of this confidence that he found was in who he was. The person of Peter, not the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, you guys are going to fail me. You're going to disown me. And he's like, no, it's not going to be me. Everybody else will, but not me. And then a short time later, there's this girl. She comes up to him. Hey, you were one of them. He's like, no, no, that's not me. Yeah, you were one of them. Swears with an oath. No, that was not me. Yes, that was you. Now he starts to bring down vulgarity. He curses himself and he swears upon it. No, I do not know the man. And immediately, immediately this rooster crows. I mean, the picture of this is overwhelming. Imagine this for you. You're going through life and you know, you're you're all set up. You know, this is going to be, I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to fail. You're like in a failing, and all of a sudden you fail. And it's not just that you failed, but it's that you have this reminder and this evidence about what Jesus has said to you. And I can't imagine the weight, the burden that Peter felt just at this moment, so much so that the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. See, failure, for many of us, and I may go out on a limb here, but I would say for all of us, is part of our spiritual journey. It's like we have this big funnel, and all of this stuff goes in this funnel. There's things that we knew we should have done, which maybe we didn't do, and we made bad decisions. goes in the funnel. There's something that somebody said about us because of an action they took. goes in the funnel. There's a failure that we have over here that may or may not have to do with us, may have to do with us, but affects us, goes in the funnel. 
there's something over here, maybe relational. There's something over here, financial. There's something over here that just doesn't work out. There's some sin over here. There's this over here, this over here. And it goes in this big funnel and it like shakes around. And at the end of the day, what comes out is the word failure. I just failed. I just failed. And my guess is many of us understand this. Because none of us really want to do what Peter did. None of us really want to go down that road where we feel like, hey, we've got it together. If there's anyone you can count on, Jesus, I'm the guy. And then a short time later, I just failed. I just failed. And yet all of us at times realize this. And this may not even be something that's brought on you, but you're wearing this burden of failure. Maybe it has something to do with a relationship that you had, no, you had no ability to control. Maybe it's something with your kids. Maybe it's something with a spouse. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's something with finances. Maybe it's something that you did do. But the end result is the same. You come out of it and you can relate with what Peter is relating with because you feel like all of a sudden you hear this stupid rooster crowing and all you want to do is go out and weep bitterly because you feel like you're just a failure. I can't do this anymore. And we start to go down this road and it feels like everything else is working for everybody else except me because everything I touch just is a failure. It's a failure. It's a failure. And all of us go through this. And it's this funnel which we take all this garbage that comes out and we feel like we have to carry the weight of it. And this is where Peter was. I mean, the realization to immediately understand what took place had to be so powerful for Peter. In just a short time from going from Mr. Cocky over here, it's all about me, Jesus, you count on me, to like, I just blew it. So after this, we go through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. The last week of Jesus' life, and we go through all of the stuff that we celebrate around Easter time. And then we go outside of the book of Matthew, and now we get to the fourth part of his life, which is the restoration of Peter. The restoration of Peter. Now, the restoration of Peter is just a powerful event. And it's one of those things which you you probably, for Peter, you know it's coming one day. Especially when you hear, oh yeah, Jesus, he was killed, but he rose from the dead. It's like, oh boy, we're going to have to have a talk, aren't we? So we get to the book of John, which is a little bit outside of the book of Matthew. And we read about where Jesus comes and he restores Peter. And now verse verse number uh, 15 of chapter 21, this is where Peter and Jesus kind of come together. Verse 15 says, when they had finished eating, and they're on the beach here uh, with the disciples, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. For Peter, I'm, I'm sure this was one of those conversations he dreaded. You ever have one of those conversations that you know you have to have, and it's out there, and you know it's coming? Well, take that and probably multiply it by a thousand. You begin to scratch the surface of what Peter was encountering. I mean, it's just not a friend he let down. This was Jesus Christ. This is the one who was crucified, buried, and resurrected. And he's the one who even came before Jesus and said, listen, I'm the one you can count on. And he let him down. He failed. He failed. But yet Peter had 
the tenacity. He had the character. But probably more importantly at this point, he had the humility to come before Jesus and lay it all down. And you just picture this scene on the beach where all the disciples are coming together and hey, we're going to have a resurrection party. Woo-hoo-hoo. Everybody's excited. Probably except Peter. Peter's like, oh man, I know what's going to happen. So they're getting together and like, hey, we need some ice. And Peter's like, I'll go get the ice. I don't want to be here anyway. So you go, you know, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's just like something happens and it's just those two. And I just picture it like they lock eyes and you're like, all right, this is the time. This is the time. And so Peter comes and basically, it's not the Peter who said, listen, Jesus, I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. Everybody else may fail you, but I'm the man. This is Peter coming humbly now. I've got nothing. This is all about you. It's a restoration that took place between Peter and Jesus Christ. It's a way that God looked at Peter and wasn't about to leave him in the state of being a failure. But to allow him to move beyond that to where he could then be restored. And this is a different Peter. This is a humble Peter. This is a Peter where all the cockiness now has just amazingly disappeared. This isn't the guy who's coming and saying, listen, I'm the guy. This is the guy saying, listen, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I don't even deserve to be here. I'm throwing myself at your mercy. And so Jesus restores Peter. Now, we talk about restoration, and it's, it's a cool thing to talk about. But a lot of times we talk about restoration, but what's the result of it? I mean, how, how far does it go? I want to take you to one more stage of Peter's life where, first of all, he's met Jesus. He's found confidence, uh, a lot of it through cockiness. He's had the failure, and he's had the restoration. But this is where we really begin to go a little deeper. And this is where I think many of us long to go. And this is really where the accelerator hits. Because once he gets restored, there's something different about Peter at this point. This is now a confidence, but it's a maturing confidence. It's not a confidence that is rooted in his own ability, his own skill, his own cockiness. This is now rooted in a guy who's been broken and who has basically laid himself down and allowed God, allowed the person of Jesus to restore him. I want to take you over to 1 Peter for a minute, and and I want to read you just a passage of Scripture. Now, I don't want to, this isn't about the passage, but this is just about the spirit of what he wrote. Now listen to this from 1 Peter. Peter wrote this after, this, uh, after being restored. He writes this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Get this, get this. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation 
of your souls. Does that sound like it was written by a guy who feels like a failure? Those words just ooze a maturity that isn't rooted in cockiness. It isn't rooted in just about what we do. This is rooted in a maturity to where this guy has experienced a restoration that has propelled him beyond the status quo of just doing what you're supposed to do. There's a maturity about Peter when he gets into his later years about really what it means to find confidence. Confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, here's, here's what I see in, in, our, in many of our journeys. The things may not totally line up, but I see this over and over and over again. We come through meeting Jesus and we have this idea that everything is going to be up and to the right. We're going to soar like eagles. Our spiritual journey, nothing can stop us now. And we have this attitude, like Peter did, where, hey, Jesus, you need me. I'm going to do what you asked me to do because I'm on your team. I'm on your team. I'm the guy you can depend on. And even though we may not say it, a lot of times our attitude is basically, even though everybody else may fail, I'm going to be the one who is strong. I'm going to be the one who's rooted. And so we come alongside of this and we come and we set ourselves up to the point where we don't understand that this isn't about us. This isn't about what we do. This isn't about ourselves and our agenda and what we think this is about. This is about the person of Jesus Christ. So oftentimes we're going and it's like a pseudo confidence. It's a confidence that's not rooted in reality of who Christ is. It's all about us. It's all about our character uh, traits. It's all about our personality. And what happens is at some point in life, some point in life, the bottom falls out. The funnel starts to leak. And we get in our minds all of these things that equate failure. And we start to carry these burdens around. We start to listen to voices out there. And we start to look at decisions we've made. And all we can see in our lives is this failure. We're burdened to the fact that we feel like, well, we just can't do anything right. God must not love me like he loves everybody else. Look at my life. Look at the failure. Look at the physical problems. Look at the spiritual problems. Look at the relational problems. I can't even do the right thing. I can't even read my Bible right anymore. I don't feel like God is speaking to me anymore. And we allow this failure, this burden, this burden of failure to weigh us down so much that we can't find confidence at all. And for many of us, what we do is we try to kick it in high gear. I know what I'll do. I'll just read the Bible more. I'll plan on reading an hour a day. Well, what are we we doing? What do we expect is going to happen? Because what we're doing is we're falling back into this trap where it becomes about us and what we're doing. And basically, we're saying to God, hey, look, I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm reading an hour. I'm reading it all the time. You can count on me. And we're missing the relationship about what God is trying to offer us. And so when we come to this side of failure, I think all of us know what failure is about. The question is not whether or not you are going to fail, all right? Because you're going to fail. You are going to find one time in your life somewhere down the road where you feel like the bottom falls out. Even Peter, Peter, who was in the inner circle of the inner circle and who was at the top of the inner circle, did probably one of the most hideous things that we look at, the very denial of the person of Jesus Christ. It is going to happen where we fail. 
The question is, are we willing to meet Jesus on the beach and have the conversation with him and lay it all down and allow him to restore us? That's the question all of us deal with. Because most of us, when we get to this point, the idea is, well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to make it more about me. I'm just going to prove to Jesus that he can count on me more and more and more. And what we do is we set ourselves up for failure again. And it's this cycle we get in over and over and we look around everybody else and we see people maturing and we can't understand why we're not maturing. The problem is, is we have not got to the point where we have laid it all down. You see, when we talk about a relationship with Jesus Christ, we talk about reading your Bible, we talk about praying. It's not so much about doing these things, it's about building a relationship. You see, the restoration of Peter that happened on the beach, we get sometimes caught up in the specifics about what happened and we miss the spirit of it. I don't know how God wants to restore you. I don't know how God wants to infuse in you a confidence that allows you to mature. But friend, I can tell you that if you are not developing a relationship with him, it's going to be very difficult for you to hear him, for you to listen to him, for you to understand him. And the whole idea behind our relationship with God is not checking off a prayer. It's not checking off a Bible study. It's building a relationship to the point where when you meet him on the beach and you know you have to have that conversation with him, There is a line of communication where he can come to you and he can restore you and he can build you up and he can lead you where you need to go. There's a verse after what Peter wrote from one of Peter's friends, John, and it just says this and it has the idea of restoration. It just says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. For many of us, the failures have to do with things that we've done, and maybe it's not. But what Jesus is saying here through the writer John is saying, listen, if you can come to the point of a relationship with Jesus Christ to where you can confess, and what that means when you talk about confession is just basically that you are on the same page with Jesus Christ. You're just laying it all out there. This isn't about what you're going to do. It's not about you anymore. But it's about laying it down for him to come in and restore you. And it says he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, many of us want to grow spiritually. We want our spiritual journeys to be invigorated. We want to feel as though God is really working through us and though we're making leaps and bounds spiritually. And we come to a verse like this and we'll confess. We'll we'll lay it all down. But the truth is we've got to go forth from there and have faith in the fact that Jesus Christ is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what that means? What that means is that when you come and you have that talk on the beach with Jesus, he is saying to you that you have the right. You have the, the, the privilege of walking away from that conversation with Jesus Christ and you can leave that conversation 
in a spirit of confidence that you are able to walk away from there feeling as though you have been restored. You don't have to walk around anymore feeling as though you are a failure. You don't have to walk around anymore feeling as though you have screwed up everybody else's life. You don't have to walk away from the conversation on the beach with Jesus Christ feeling as though everything about you is a failure and everything I do just is a mess up and God must not love me more than he loves everybody else. What he is saying is you have the right, you have the privilege to have a confidence in the person of Jesus Christ that can only be found in the restoration of who he, or who he is and what he can do through you. You see, the question isn't about whether or not you need more faith. You guys have plenty of faith. Some of you have so much faith that you're believing something that someone told you 20 years ago about yourself. You're believing things that you believe about yourself that have no, no foundation at all. You're believing things that maybe a kid told you, maybe a teacher told you, maybe a family member told you. And you've carried around this burden of failure for so long. And it's not about faith. You have so much faith. You are believing things that have no merit because you're going up against God who is the author. He is the authority. He is the one who has the right to dictate to you and to say authoritatively to you that I can purify you. I can cleanse you. And you have the right. You have the right to get up and walk out of this auditorium with a confidence because not in yourself, not because of what you've done, not because of how good you are, but because about the person of Jesus Christ who is willing to restore you as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter. Some of you are walking around here and you are so burdened with things that you have no right to carry. You have no right to carry as a follower of Jesus Christ. And for many of us, we're stuck in this failure. We are so stuck. And God and Jesus Christ is on the beach. And he's saying, come on, come on. I'm willing. I'm waiting. I want to restore you to where you have a confidence found in a maturity that will take you places you never even dreamed of. Friends, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. This is what we're in this for. A God that we can have a right relationship with. Not just about meeting him, not just about all the good stuff, but allowing him to restore us to a maturing confidence. I'm going to ask you to stand and our prayer partners are going to come forward. And as they do, I just want to put it out there. If you've got a burden, if you've got a failure, if you've got something that you are carrying around, maybe today's the day you just drop it. You just allow God to restore you. You stop believing what everybody else is saying. You know, I'm sure when Peter went around, he got to say, hey, that's the guy who denied Jesus. You know what? He said, I don't have to listen to you. I've had the conversation with Jesus and I have faith in what he says. It's a maturing for all of us, the restoration to where you and I can walk out boldly in confidence through a maturity in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our prayer partners are here. They would love to pray with you. 
Love to help you come encounter Jesus Christ and allow you to walk out of here with the confidence that your heavenly Father believes in you and you are okay. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and for the sacrifice that continues to make itself known in so many ways throughout our journeys. Many of these failures we know are our own decision-making, but your sacrifice, your sacrifice, help us all to understand is so much more powerful against the backdrop of what we have done. Thank you for this church and thank you for the men and women who make it up. And may we as a congregation go forth from here in confidence, knowing you love us so irrationally and incredibly much. In your son's name, amen. Have a great week. Enjoy your time with family and friends and we'll see you next Sunday.